You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We are in Nehemiah 4. And as we um, open up this text this morning, um, I want to ask, uh, I want to ask us just to have a couple of pondering questions as we go is, what are you afraid of? What do you, what do you fear? Do you have any fears? Um, I was Googling about that this week. Um, apparently, there's a, a number of different phobias. There is a phobia of balloons, um, which that's terrifying. You just can never go to a birthday party ever again for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, I, there is another phobia of popping balloons, like balloons that are unexpectedly going to That makes sense. Uh, there's another pho- phobia like spiders and the dark and big outdoor places. Um, if you are here today and that is your phobia, um, 
You are welcome here. <laughs> but um, I wonder what your fear is. I wonder if you have any fears. And to follow up that question, where is it that you go when you, fear, when you feel those fears creeping up on you? Where is it that you go when you fear those fears creeping up on you? Now, I asked those questions this morning because uh, in the passage we look at today, uh, we see God's people uh, in a world where they, they, they have an opponent that is doing everything he can to stir up fear in God's people. I don't know if you noticed that. He's doing everything he can to stir up fear in God's people. Uh, and I think it's, this is a text for us today because we also live in a world where there seems to be people that do everything they can to stir up fear in our lives, don't we? Isn't there? You notice that? Like every, every, like you can't click on the news anymore. It's all like headings to cause clickbait and just to cause you to be scared. <laughs> you know, have you ever seen like an ad on television now? Like basically all ads, their strategy is you suck and you, there's FOMO here. Um, buy this product and it'll be okay. <laughs> um, and even like the conversations that you hear over here while standing in line for coffee in the supermarket, you know, in the supermarket, in the cafe, and standing in line for coffee in the, in the supermarket. There's lots of places we can stand in line, okay? Let's not get too analytical. Um, but people's gossiping and conversations are often about fears, aren't they? Like not, not directly, but it's just like, oh, did you hear about how this is happening? Or did you hear about how they're going to like start cutting off our power? Did you hear about how, you know, there's this next rule that's going to come in? They all are tapping into our fears. So I want us to look at this passage today and I want to see how, what God's people do in the face of these, op, these opponents that are trying to put fear into their lives. And I want to see is wh- what is it they do and how is it that they respond? So in Nehemiah 4, you heard in our reading, just to bring you all up to speed, so far we've got Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, He was over in uh, Babylon and he was sent on a mission suited up with the king of Babylon at the time, the prince of Persia. And he was, not the prince of Persia, he he, he allowed him to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The temple was finished and they were now rebuilding the walls around that place. Really important for Nehemiah, for Jerusalem to have those walls. The walls were really important in providing security for God's people. The walls were their first line of defence. And Nehemiah knew a lot about protection and defense. That was his job. Cup bearer, I'll take the, I'll take the drink. Yep, you're safe. Well, I'm your first line of defense. The, the walls were also going to provide identity for God's people, weren't they? They were going to provide a boundary. They were going to provide a, um, a, a context in which they can be defined. This is the city. This is the walls. You know, Matt, you know, he had a little dig at us all earlier on. Like, you know, if the wall for the surf coast is along this road, isn't it? If you go to that side, you're in Armstrong Creek. You go to this side, you're on the surf coast. That side, Greater Geelong, this side, surf coast. So the, the walls provided a, a piece of identity, didn't they? And walls also gave a sense of security, a sense of peace. That you knew that if you're within this fortress, that you could be safe, you could flourish, and you could do the things that you wanted to do. And Nehemiah was back to build these walls around the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And we looked at last week how the walls and the city was uh, this moment of the people all gathering together would have been a wonderful moment to be a part of God's people, wouldn't it? 
this sense of camaraderie, everyone invested into doing what it was that God had called them to do. And it was pointing, we wanted to think about how that city of safety and security and purpose and meaning and peace and identity was a pointer for us to look through our heaven, look to our heavenly city, wasn't it? The holy city of Zion, when God would bring us home and we would have rest and we would have camaraderie and there would be no sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Now, today we get to a section in Nehemiah 4 where now we're thinking about actually this, that whilst we're still here and we're still, you know, still seeing these walls go up and waiting for the city to be ready and finished, there's opposition, isn't there? There's opposition. And the opposition is coming from those outside that are seeking to uh, weasel their way in and tear down the security that they could have with the, with the establishment of their walls. They're seeking to get in and undermine the, undermine the identity that God's people could have by having these walls. They're seeking to get in to disrupt the peace that God's people could have by uh, bringing down these walls. Now, the, uh, the attack by uh, Sanballat, um, you know, that's an interesting name. Um, the attack from Sanballat, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, four-pronged, isn't it? We have a look at here at the things that he was doing to get under the skin of God's people. You know, he responded with anger, jeering, taunting, questioning, belittling. You know, what's he say there? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. So have you ever seen a fox like run around in a field before, before you shoot it? I mean, while you're watching it, just being graceful, they spring around and they look all really cute. You know, if a fox go on for a wall to, to fall off, like it's just like, hold on, a fox isn't going to do much damage. They're like, they're like the little doggy kittens, aren't they? And Sam Blatt is having a go at these people. He's just like, if a fox goes up on your wall, it's going to fall down. But I love to see how God's people respond in the face of this opposition, in the face of this man trying to undermine their identity and their security and their peace. What do they do? What do God's people do that we see in Nehemiah 4? Two things. They respond with prayer. They respond with perseverance. They respond with prayer and they respond with perseverance. Um, interesting to look at the prayer here in, um, in, in the first part of chapter 4. There's, there's, two, there's two stages where they respond with prayer and perseverance. Uh, the first, we actually get to read their prayer. And their prayer is what is called an imprecatory prayer. Uh, there's what's called imprecatory psalms. And that's basically like, if you could sum up the prayers, it's like, God, go kill those guys. <laughs> it's like kind of, that's the prayer that we got. Um, now, we're not going to spend today about le le learning how to pray for the death of our enemies, all right? Although that is, a, uh, that is modelled to us in the Bible in some ways. What we can see, at least from what Nehemiah is praying here, is that, hey, he's pretty upset. We get an insight into how he and the people are feeling. Now, I'm not advocating right now that we pray for the death of our enemies. I, you know, I'd probably say, hey, let's pray for their salvation first up and foremost. Like, let's pray for Damascus Road experiences for those that don't quite align with, you know, the mission and the purpose of Jesus. Um, but at least in what we see in Nehemiah's prayer is that they are like, they're, they're, they, they need defence from the divine, don't they? So they're a bit worried. They prayed, but then they also persevered. Verse 9, we say, And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. 
Uh, one commentary that I was reading about Nehemiah, uh, a really helpful little phrase, it talked about how he's a very pragmatic believer. Very pragmatic believer. You know, I think in, in today's day and age, I mean, you can think of, like some people think about uh, the Christian faith and there's like two ends of the scale. You've got like the super spiritual over here and it's just like, oh man, like uh, things are really tough right now and the super spiritual side of the equation will be like, you just got to pray that thing and name it and claim it and everything will be better. Just pray about it and that's all you got to do. You know, that's one side of the scale. We've all met those people. I've met, you know, I've been in churches with those people. And then there's the other side of the scale where I've been in those churches as well where it's just like, <laughs> mate, you just got to get to work. You just need to work harder. You just need to like knuckle down and get a real job. And you're like both hands. <laughs> like, well, do I pray about this thing or do I like take some personal responsibility? And it's just like, you should do both. <laughs> you should do both. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our gospel communities, Bible study and prayer and putting it into action are all a priorities that we hold together. In the life of our church, we do our Sunday service here on a, on a, on a Sunday. Oh, it's a good name for the gathering, Sunday service. Sorry. And then what do we do tomorrow? We call people to pray, don't we? And we don't want to end all the way up here. We don't want to end all the way up here. We want to hold both together. So what I love about Nehemiah, he's, he's, he's a pragmatic Christian. He's a pragmatic believer. He, he sees the value in doing both. And so they pray and they commit this to God. They commit the situation, but they also persevere. They also persevere. Uh, and it's beautiful to see the ways in which they persevere together as a community uh, so that they are investing in their security and in their identity and in their peace. So they're not going to be afraid of these people that are taunting and, te and teasing and, and jeering at them. What are the things that they do to invest and persevere? Well, firstly, we read verse 6. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. First thing we see is they had a plan, didn't they? They had a plan. They weren't just like fluffing about. It was just like, no, this is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. And this is what God has said, go and do this. So we're going to stick to that. We're not going to let a little bit of opposition just put us off course and then we're not going to feel sad for ourselves. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep to the plan. And then also, what do we see? In the face of what could be their fears, they see that they've got a crew. They've got a people around them, don't they? Verses 14 and 13 and 14. So in the low, lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places, okay, so there's some holes in the wall. Sam Ballot's getting a bit angry and he wants to come and tear them down. So it's like we should probably like guard, guard the holes in the wall. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, here's the plan. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and your wives and your homes. They've got a crew, don't they? They're all involved in this. They're all involved. They're all taking on that personal responsibility collectively within the community. It's beautiful. I think it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture of just actually, well, how do we overcome a lot of our fears in the face of face of opposition. It's like if you think of an army going to war, what confidence does every soldier have in the fight? The fact that he goes with a bunch of other soldiers. <laughs> like he could be the best, most well-trained, well-equipped person in the whole world, but if it's just him, he's stuffed. He's got no, it's like, okay, I'm getting off the bus now. I'll see you soon. I'm just going to go fight the war. It's like, no, 
He goes with an army. He goes with a community, and they all contribute together. So they are they are sticking to the plan. They're within a community. They've got a crew. And what else is going on? They've also got swords. They've got weapons, don't they? Yeah, weapons help you in the face of fear. Anyone felt that way before? Okay, uh, it's a you know, vulnerable moment for me. I've been hunting before in the dark, and like it's like the middle of the bush, right? There's no one there. It's just like it's like me. Well, there's me and like one other guy. Uh, usually Joe Ash. Okay, yes, your pastor's hunt. I'm sorry, guys, we live on the surf coast, but if we weren't supposed to eat meat, then why did God make it taste so good? Um, I've been hunting before. Uh, and if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, you are more than welcome here. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Um, Adam and Eve were vegetarians at the start, so we can... All good. You are being very biblical. Sorry, I'll stop digging. But anyway, I've been scared before whilst going out hunting, okay? I've been scared in the bush when it's dark, thinking, what if someone sneaks up on me and stabs me in the back and hits my spine and I can't walk out of here. You know, that's, that's irrational, silly thought. But that's what we do when we get scared. We have rash, irrational, silly thoughts. But you know one thing that's made me feel better? I have a gun. And two knives. And food in my backpack. So I'm, I'm fine. I'm equipped. So I'm just, I'm just stating the obvious. In the face of our fear, when we are armoured up, we don't, we don't have to be as scared of what we could be. I don't know how you've ever felt in times of fear, but being armoured up for the time is, it's a good thing. You know, maybe, just to maybe we just take it a little bit away from like weaponry, but what about if you're a student that's about to go into an exam? You could be like terrified by that exam, but how have you armoured yourself up? Oh, I've put in the work. I've done the study. I know what I need to do. I also have a pencil or a pen, or whatever your chosen weapon is to defend yourself against the questions and the attacks of the short and the long answer. So these guys, they've got a plan. They've got a crew. They've got weapons. And you know, there's something else that they've got. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we are reading before. I'll read verse 20. Maybe you can notice it. Verse 20. Um, starting from 19. And when I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall from one another. Now in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Okay, so when there's like bad stuff that's going down, rally to us there, all of us with your weapons. And then hear this, our God will fight for us. Oh, that's cool. That's like that gets you, that, like that's when like, you know, the big bass drums start pumping in the movie scene. Our God will fight for us. Like this is picking up language from Exodus. Do you remember that? Do you remember like Moses talking to people so slow? So it's like, be silent and trust that God will fight for us. And that is our faith as followers of Jesus, isn't it? It's just like, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he has not only already given us a son, how much will he not give us all things? Our God will fight for us. And Nehemiah takes all of these things into the one hand and he goes, well, okay, well, we've got, we've got prayer. We do that. We trust and we depend and we gather together with God. We've got a plan. We know where we're going. We know what we've got to do. Okay, we've got people. We've got a community where everyone is contributing. Everyone is investing. Everyone has their certain skills and their certain ability to contribute and make it happen. We've also got weapons. We're armoured up. We've got the knowledge. We know what we've got to do and we can defend ourselves. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we've got the power of the Most High God the one true God of the universe, whose legacy tells me that, oh, actually, do you remember the story we're a part of where we're like, you know, our ancestors were trapped in the land of Egypt? What happened back then? Oh, yeah, were they stuck? Oh, no, that's right. The plagues. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. God is in control of everything. And that's the, that's the evidence of, of the Old Testament. Old Testament, Jesus concealed. New Testament, Jesus revealed. Jesus, who has power over the wind and the waves. Jesus has power over the very elements, terms the bread and the wine. Jesus has the power over the very hearts and minds of men. King's heart is like a stream of water and he directs it wherever he wills. Hear that, church. In the face of their fear, they remembered, when you hear the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Now, what does that have to say to us today? Small little church, Surf Coast, year 2022. We're not building a wall. But what does a text like this have to say to us in the face of whatever it is that we might fear? Whatever it is in the face of we might get worried about. How does it impact us? Well, I think there's um, some significant things for us to point to. Um, I think we also need to think about our what and our how our what and our how, as they did. Um, and I do want to tell, I'm, I'm going to tell you what they, those things are, but I also think it's, uh, it would serve you to also help you understand how we get there as well. Uh, so we, I just want to have like a little five-minute nerd moment to equip you guys. So because, you know, you know where I'm going to go with this, okay? Hopefully you know where I'm going to go. We know what the, hope, do you know what the answer is? Come on, city kids will be screaming it out right now. Okay, what? It's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. He's tricky like that, Jesus. Did anyone say that last night? See, we want to think about our what and our how in the face of our fear and how it relates to the people of Nehemiah 4. And the answer is Jesus, pressing into Jesus, leaning onto Jesus, knowing that he is with us. But we got to see how we get there, okay? So the people in Nehemiah 4, all of that community is rallying together and they are there building up with their swords, with their shields, with one another, with the plan, with Nehemiah, with God. And they are doing what? They are building the wall, aren't they? They are building the wall. Now, we think about our context right here, right now, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. How do we invest into our lives as a community? What are we investing in that people potentially might try and tear down that is going to provide us security and peace and identity? What it is that we invest into? And the answer is Jesus. But the key here is going, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Um, but Jesus, like, we, don't, we don't build up Jesus, Jesus is already there, isn't he? Jesus has already lived. He's already died. He's already risen again to new life. Jesus is established. We don't need to build up Jesus. We need to build up our awareness and our knowledge of the fact that Jesus is there. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of like someone that's just like, well, uh, they've, they've been given a house and then they have to pitch their tent in the front of the house because they're just like, well, I don't know where to go in the face of feeling scared and getting wet and being cold. It's like, there's a house right there. Now, I promise some nerdy moments. How is the wall Jesus? Okay, now, slide aside. There's two ways of reading your Bible, okay? Two main ways of reading your Bible. Two fancy words. One is exegesis. The other is eisegesis, okay? Exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is basically reading God out of the Bible and seeing what the text actually means in the time that it was written to the people it was written to, to see the truth of it is within the text. It's 
Exegesis is reading God out of the Bible and seeing what it actually means, okay? Exegesis, drawing it out. Then there is also eisegesis, okay? Eisegesis is reading ourselves into the Bible. Eisegesis is a way of reading the Bible where it's like we take our experiences and our knowledge and everything that we know and we read ourselves into the Bible, okay? So with eisegesis, that's not how you want to read the Bible, okay? We're not the hero of the Bible, okay? Eisegesis is like David and Goliath. David gets up and he kills the big enemy. Isn't David great? It's just like, oh, I'm totally David. Yeah, totally David. Yeah, just, uh, I've got my feed for the day. Going to conquer the giants of my world now because I am David. And I've got five more sp smooth stones to throw at the world. Okay, that's eisegesis. And that's wrong, okay? We are not David. We are the terrified Israelites needing a savior to fight on our behalf and, and, and kill the giant. The D David, David points to Jesus, okay? Now, this might seem really obvious, but we often will, whenever we read the Bible, we put ourselves in the position of the hero because so many of us, um, you know, and we, we're all narcissistic. <laughs> this is the truth, all right? Whenever you get a school photo and you get the class photo, who's the first person you look for in the class photo? You look for you, don't you? I know you do. I look for me. It's like, oh, where's me? Oh, I look terrible. And then I feel bad. And then, oh, how narcissistic is that? Where's me? And then I don't like how I look. I should look better. Who's ever had that thought? Come on, right? Come on, just, here we go. All right, okay, we've got some majority. Okay, that's majority. I'll take majority. And for the rest of you, you're lying. <laughs> now, there's eisegesis and there's exegesis. Now, we want to do exegesis. Side note, this is why our gospel community study questions are structured how they are, to train us in learning how to draw Jesus out of the Bible. And what is the character of God? How does this point us to the person and work of Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit doing through these questions? What is the gospel? Let's stand on the foundation of where we are and who God is. Oh, it's all about Jesus. So, okay, hopefully your GC leaders are doing that for you. Now, if the Bible is all about God, if the Bible is primarily God's revelation to us about who he is, and it's not about who we are, the Bible is, it's about God for us. It's not about us for God. It's about God for us. We want to be seeing where God is at work on every page of scripture as we do the exegesis. Okay? Two nerdy things, eisegesis, exegesis. The second nerdy thing to complement exegesis, typology. All right? Typology. Now, who's enjoying this nerd moment? Oh, well, I've got some of you. Okay, this is good. This is good. Okay. This won't take much longer. Typology. Typology is when you, when you stand on the footing that all of the Bible is all about, is about God's revelation of himself and pointing to Christ. We need to remember as we do this very important work that as we look through the Old Testament and as we look through the New Testament, we want to see symbols and types and pointers and representations that are pointing us to Christ, okay? Now, this is going somewhere. This is how we know that the wall is Christ, okay? This is where we're going. Now, often the typology is quite easy. When we know that we aren't the hero, whoever the hero is, is generally a pointer to a new and better hero, Jesus, okay? Whenever you see a prophet or a priest or a king, generally there's a way in which they point to Jesus, the better prophet, the better priest, the better king. You think of King David pointing to Jesus, the better king. Think of King Solomon, pointing to the better king, King Jesus. Think of Moses pointing to the better Moses, Jesus. Okay, so they're the obvious ones. Now, less obvious, 
okay, is we get this idea of typology or imagery or almost like metaphor that comes through. Now, the obvious ones that we can find as we understand the Bible is all about Jesus and how we understand Jesus is the ones that even Jesus says. That's, that's me, okay? Go to the New Testament. You can like reverse engineer this stuff. Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you're an Old Testament reader, you're like, hey, wait a minute. Lambs are pretty significant in the Old Testament. That's right. That was like the Passover. Oh, yeah, that, that was Jesus. Well, the Bible was written by one guy. Okay, what about the bread? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then you go, oh, wait, there was bread's pretty significant too in the story of the Bible. There's like manna in the wilderness. There's like the show bread in the temple. It's like, oh, that's Jesus too. Okay, what about Jesus when he stands up? At the festival, he says, I come to me all who drink. I am the living water. And you're like, oh, Jesus is the water. It's so like, and there's even a moment in the New Testament where it says, and they drank from rock and the rock was Christ and the, the water is Christ. So it's like, oh, it's all Jesus. Okay, so I'm telling you all of this so that when you go and read your Bible tonight and tomorrow, and then as you do your daily devotionals, you go, where's Jesus in this? How am I being pointed to the person work of Jesus? Exegesis, read God out. Not eisegesis, don't read yourself in. You can learn some good moral lessons from the characters, but look for God first. And then typology, looking for where, how it is pointing to Jesus. Now, in Nehemiah, we've seen already that Jesus is the temple, the temple's foundation. Jesus is also the gate. And we see Jesus is also the wall, the completed wall. Now, if after that little side note of theological ranting, you think, Louis, can Jesus really be all those things? Surely he can't be that and that and that and that and that and that. And to that question, I might say, how big is your Jesus? Jesus is that and that and that and that and that. And you find the security and you find the peace and you find the sense of identity that those things bring and you get a bigger, more broader, more beautiful revelation of who Christ is. We all, our brains and our emotions all work in different ways. But for some people to remember that Christ is the rock on which we stand, that gives confidence and security. For some people to remember that he is our fortress, a mighty fortress, or to remember that he is the lamb or that he is the water, or to remember that, that he is a great king or a priest or a prophet. All of those images are for us to grow in our affection and our desire and our love for the beauty of who Christ is. is. You see, there's it's like John Piper says, the reason that God made honey was so that we could get an idea of how sweet it is to know God. Not the other way around. Like, all of these beautiful things testifying to the beautiful person and beautiful work of who Jesus is. So let's think about then for us in that Jesus is the wall. <clears throat> Jesus is the completed wall that we can find our security in and our identity in and our peace in. And we need to be a people who remember that actually the world is going to taunt and jeer and try and tear down that wall, isn't it? It's going to say, oh, if a fox climbs up on that wall, it's just going to crumble down. What are you guys doing putting your trust in this wall? I mean, has anyone ever been criticised for like, or, or ever heard of criticism for like a Christian faith? 
how weak is it that you would trust in a saviour, you know, some God who died on a cross? Sounds pretty foolish. It's like, yeah. Yep, and he's alive. And he is coming again. <laughs> and so we are a community, we're a church where we want to be helping one another, remind each other, gospel each other that actually we are putting our faith and trust in the right thing in Jesus. We don't want to be running around creating little walls and other things in our lives that could try and make up for the true and better wall, right? Because we do that, don't we? We do that. We forget of the security that we can find in Christ. We forget that he's there and he's, he is our protection, that he is our source of identity, that he is the one in which whom we can, if we find ourselves, we will flourish. You know, we put our trust and we build walls in our life on our own often, we spend time on our own and we build up a financial wall to bring us security, don't we? Still remember realizing that in my own life. It's like, what am I doing? Just trying to get a bigger paycheck. My man made security. What am I doing? It's not going to provide me security. What about positional security? We do that too, don't we? Try to put enough effort into our status to get enough power or perception so we can feel secure. Those are the other walls that we build up apart from Christ. It's walls that I've tried to build in the past. Well, there's like the virtue wall. We invest and we borrow and we try to show off to the world a certain character that we are so that we might have approval and we might feel secure because of what other people think. What are we doing? We're not defined by what other, like, what other people think isn't going to save us from hell. Or there's the, this, this wall is an interesting one that we often try to build up for ourselves. It's the wall of, I don't need any walls, man. I don't invest in anything. And that's what identifies me. My security is the fact that I actually don't need any security. <laughs> so, it's, that's like, I feel like that's a... Be careful here, but that's like hippie van life culture summed up, isn't it? it ugh, can I say that? It's like, oh, you know, just... I'm under no man's thumb. I don't need any position in this world. Now, to overcome those little walls that we try to build up in place of Christ, there's a couple of things we need to do. We need to be really honest with ourselves. And it's hard to be honest with yourself. We need to remember what the problem with those other walls that we build up in place of Christ when we forget that He is the security we need. We need to remember what those other little walls are. We need to remember, be honest, okay? Those other little walls that we build up, they are what is actually what is truly weak. Those other walls is what is truly weak. There's no amount of power. There's no amount of image. There's no amount of pushing back our age or increasing our beauty. There's no amount of position in this world. There's no amount of enjoyment or money. None of those things are going to... get us to the end. Like none of those things are going to bring us satisfaction or safety in the face of death. See, the problem with, trouble with power and, or the trouble with like having money or the trouble with having good looks or whatever it might be that you go, like one day it will eventually fade. It will. But you think of Jesus, resurrected hope, 
who met death and conquered it. A relationship with Jesus is that it will never fade. It will only get better and better and better and better. See, I mean, I think of like, uh, uh, one thing I love and enjoy and I think is a, a genuine gift from God and, you know, is a, is a picture of the Sabbath. It's like surfing, right? It's so good. Okay, thank you, Tim, for the old wetsuits that got me into the water, you know. But I need to realize that my body is going to slowly, slowly like decay and I'm going to get stiffer and less mobile and I'm going to get fat and slow and there's going to be a moment when surfing will fail me. <laughs> Why are you shaking it? <laughs> We're talking about those walls, okay? We're but there will be a moment where it's just like, I'll be, I'll be a hopefully I become a decrepit old man and don't die tonight. But, you know, there's a... It will... The graph will be like, ugh. And you can apply that to money. Ugh. You can apply that to position of work. Ugh. To relationships. Ugh. You know, because anyway, we all, we all fade. But not with Jesus, right? Jesus is, I get to know him more more and I occasionally I feel like I let him down oh but oh no he forgives he's good oh and then and then and then like the eternal glory of he bringing us home it's like boom so I wish I could jump higher there's no uh, it's only gets better an eternal investment an internal investment into remembering our hope with Christ so what do we need to do we need, a, we need to be a people who are building on and investing in our realisation of what is already there and what is already complete. The wall that is out for our life, that is Jesus Christ. The wall that brings us security, the wall that brings us identity, and the wall that brings us peace. And how do we do that? Well, we saw for God's people there was four things, or those five things that they were investing into. They had a plan, didn't they? Nehemiah's people had the plan. Uh-oh, I definitely need that. That wasn't a part of the plan. The book of Romans, it's worth a read. The chapters 1 to 11, you get to the end of 1 to 11, and it is the most beautiful exposition of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'll be able to, to work on, and you'll be able to keep digging into that. And then you get to chapter 12, and it makes a turn. And then it gives you basically the implication of everything that you've just been learning about in terms of who God is and what he's done through the life of Christ. And he gives us a plan for our lives. And he starts in Romans 12, he says, I appear to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Like, don't give in to what the people are saying and taunting and jeering and, and trying to get under your skin. Do not let them try to tear down your security in Christ, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and good and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Look and see what is already there. Keep reminding yourself and to keep refocusing your lens to see Christ and to remember that your life is hidden in Him. Listen to this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
okay? But to think with sober judgment. It's basically like, just don't get ahead of yourself. You're not as clever as you think, all right? We do need to actually work at this. We need to make this investment. For as one body, we have, for as one, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all fall have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Do you hear that? Members of one another. A whole bunch of individuals together in a community. The plan involves the crew. You and me, the church community, all doing a different part, all together involved in it, all spurring one another on, all using our stories and our experiences to remind each other, hey guys, like we're a part of this together. So it's like, don't forget, we're in the wall. You feeling like worried right now? Like, can I point you to Jesus? Here's how he's worked in my life. Feeling anxious? Like, let's, let me help you. Let's, let's think about Jesus. Let's think about what's already there. They've got a plan. We remember the crew. All right. You know what we've also got? We've got a gun. We have a sword. Here's my bow. Take my, wait, take my sword, take my bow, take my axe. What does that look like? Let me read for you Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, which you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness until the spiritual force and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because we're in a battle, because there's people that are throwing insults at us and taunting us and trying to tear down and say that your confidence in Christ is actually weak, therefore take up the whole armour of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand firm having fastened the belt of truth. You know what's really true? Christ is alive. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's true. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where is your righteousness? It's not found in anything that you do. It's not found in what, you know, that's, you, you have the righteousness of Christ. If you have turned from your old life of sin and turned to Jesus to follow him and said, yes, you are my Lord and my Saviour, he gives you his robes of righteousness. He forgives you of all your sin, past, present and future. He doesn't just put you on neg negative, uh, neutral ground for you to try and earn some more stuff. He gives you his entire resume. You have the righteousness of Christ. If you're found in Christ, you are found in Christ. Like you are found, if you are in Christ, it's just like if you are in a Coke can, you look like a Coke can. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Christ. That's confidence. And as, your, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. Shield of faith, stand there with the shield on. Do not worry. God will fight for us. Is it just me that gets excited by this language? Like this would steal in your spine. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You want a weapon? Right here. You want power? Right here. You want reminder of what the plan is? Right here. You want to hear from God? Right here. 
You need to be reminded of your eternal hope right here. And when we read this, we read God out of it so that we can live in it right here. So church, I want to ask, what is it that you're afraid of? Where is it that you go to find comfort in those fears? We look at Nehemiah 4 today and we see that we respond. We can, like Nehemiah's people can, we can respond in prayer and perseverance, can't we? And we can persevere because we know what the plan is. Know Jesus, make Jesus known. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Go therefore, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I will be with you until the ends of the age. There's your plan. There's your marching orders. We go with a crew, with the people. Look to your left. Look to your right. There's your brothers and sisters in arms. And they have things that you don't. And you have things that they don't. So lean on them. And let them lean on you. We go with weapons. Yeah. That's why I got a sword drawn on mine. And we go with the power of God. We go with the power of God. Do not fear. He will fight for us. How good is that? I'm going to pray in thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.